Good morning again. Thanks. We are continuing our series in the Old Testament, and we've come a long way, even though we've only finished Genesis. We learned that God created the world good, meaning both useful and beautiful. We learned that God created humanity, male and female, in his image and his likeness, with dignity, with value, with a calling. We also learned that man fell and rebelled against God's good plan as sin entered the world, forever fracturing relationships and our engagement with the world. But God was not finished with creation after the fall. We see that God called Abraham, told him and promised him they'd make him into a great nation, that through him all of the nations of the earth will be blessed, giving him a son, Isaac, a grandson, Jacob, and 12 great-grandsons, which we learned about last week. This morning will be in Exodus chapter 3. And if you're new to Exodus, it's the second book of the Bible right after Genesis. At this point in the story, the forefathers that we've been learning about, Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, have all passed on. But thankfully, the God of the Bible, the God of the promises, is still with Moses. The people of Israel are under oppression in Egypt. In the first two chapters of Exodus, we learn of an obscure child named Moses who was born in the house of Levi, one of Jacob's sons. And you might know the story of Moses, maybe from Sunday school classes or sermons of the past, or maybe even from a slightly inaccurate but enjoyable Prince of Egypt movie which came out in the late 90s, which I may or may not have watched as preparing for this. But regardless, we know that Moses was born at a very difficult time for an Israelite. He was born at a time when Pharaoh, the the king of Egypt, was nervous about the Israelites, how, how numerous they were getting. He was worried that they were going to be able to one day overtake him because of their numbers. So he said, every single male Israelite that is born as a baby is going to need to be killed and cast into the Nile River. Moses was saved by his mother putting him in a basket by the river Nile. Moses was rescued by the daughter of Pharaoh and actually wound up being raised in the household of Pharaoh as an Egyptian. When Moses grew up, there's an important scene where he became enraged at how the Israelites were being treated and he lashed out against an Egyptian wound up killing the Egyptian, having to flee from Pharaoh, and winding up in an obscure land called Midian under the household of a man named Jethro. And at this point, the Israelites' situation is very hopeless. And Moses has fallen far from his place in the household of Pharaoh. This hopelessness is not unique to the people of Israel. I'm sure as we sit here this morning, we can all... Think of times we have felt helpless and hopeless, in need of help. Sin impacts each of us in different ways, in deep ways. Through our own sin, how it affects us, through sins against others, sins that have been done to us throughout our lives, through oppression, through violence, through addictions, through pain, we experience helplessness and hopelessness, wondering if God is going to be true to his promise. And this morning, we're going to interact with this question. Considering 
this reality of sin and hopelessness, how will God be faithful to his promises? Pray with me this morning. Father, we sit here and I stand here recognizing our need for you. Recognizing that even in this moment, we could be sinning against you. Even in this moment, we might want to be somewhere else. Our minds might be so distracted, so wrought with pain and memories and doubts and fears. We need you to do a miracle this morning as you speak through an unworthy, broken person as myself, and as you help us to hear from your word, not just so that we will know more facts, but so that we will be changed. And so that as we're changed, we can go out from here and be on mission for you more effectively. And we need you for that and trust you that you will do that this morning. We pray all this in your name. Amen. If you were here a few weeks ago, you might remember Pastor David posed a trivia question about the most referenced Old Testament character in the New Testament. And if you're going to be honest with me, you'll probably say you got that wrong, as I did. The answer was Moses. And today, we're going to zoom in to an important scene in Moses' life with him and God, which changes the rest of his life and actually still impacts us today. In this scene, we're going to see two stages of God's activity, if you're taking notes. The first stage will be God's presence, his holy presence. And the second stage will be God's rescue plan through Moses. Before we dive into the text, I want to mention that Exodus was written by Moses to the second post-Exodus generation of Israel. Those who have been wandering in the wilderness which is talked about in the book of Numbers. For 40 years, wandering in the wilderness, wondering if God's promises would be true. So if you think about that, that, those people who were in the wilderness wondering why they're wandering around for so many years, where the promised land is, if it's going to ever come to them, Moses writes this to remind those Israelites of what God is like and to remind them their story, their history. And that is why a few times in our text we heard Nick read the, the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, as we learned about last week. And that phrase is a very important connection to the past. Let's look at verse 1 in chapter 3. Here we see actually that God has been behind the scenes preparing Moses for this moment. Moses grew up in the household of Pharaoh as a powerful Egyptian. And now we see him in verse 1. As a shepherd, not as any shepherd, he's actually a shepherd watching the flock of someone else. He doesn't even have his own sheep to watch. He has fallen far from his original position in the household of Pharaoh. God has brought him to a place of humility after many years of being in power. And how is God going to get his attention? He's actually going to use nature in a way that Moses was very used to seeing. He would have seen many uh, uh, burning bushes in his life. But those bushes would have actually burned up and fallen to the ground. This bush continued to burn. So Moses looks at the bush and probably had to make a double take and say, why is not this bush burning up? In verse 3, he stops, looks, and his attention 
is on the bush, and out of the bush, all of a sudden, he hears Moses, Moses. And Moses would have known that when a name is repeated like this, Moses, Moses, in the Old Testament, it referred to a repetition of endearment, meaning the person saying this name twice cares about the recipient. And Moses would have known this is a caring voice. He would have known that this is a, this is a God who cares about me, who knows me, and who wants my best. Next, God teaches Moses about his holy presence. Instead of even consuming Moses, standing on this holy ground, God says, this is what you do on holy ground. You take off your shoes. In this uh, culture, Moses would have been used to taking off shoes in front of a superior being, whether it was at their palace or tent or home. In a way, God is saying, Moses, this is my place. This Mount Horeb, which is also Mount Sinai, this is where I dwell, and I've made this ground holy. This is said of no other location in the Bible where the ground has actually become holy because of God's presence. It's a unique place, a special place, and God is going to meet Moses here. And once again in verse 6, God reminds Moses that I am the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, of your forefathers, the one who promised to make your nation great, to bless the nations of the earth, and to bring you into the promised land. This presence that Moses is standing on, this ground that is holy, deserves honor, deserves to be recognized and treated differently than all other ground that he's standing on. How will God be faithful to his promises? First, through his holy presence. In Isaiah, the prophet, in chapter 6, we're told of a vision that Isaiah has. And in this vision, we experience a similar uh, recognition of holiness. And Isaiah chapter 6 also contains Isaiah's call to ministry as a prophet. And I'm going to read a few verses in Isaiah chapter 6 this morning. In the year that King Uzziah died, verse 1, I saw the Lord sitting upon a throne, high and lifted up. And the train of his robe filled the temple. Above him stood the seraphim. Each had six wings. With two he covered his face, and with two he covered his feet, and with two he flew. And one called to another and said, Holy, holy, holy is the Lord of hosts. The whole earth is full of his glory. And the foundations of the threshold shook at the voice of him who called. And the house was filled with smoke. And Isaiah said, Woe is me, for I am lost. For I am a man of unclean lips, and I dwell in the midst of a people of unclean lips. For my eyes have seen the King, the Lord of hosts. As we sit here this morning, I hope we can all recognize that we are a people of unclean lips of unclean actions, of unclean thoughts, who do not deserve to be in the presence of a holy, perfect God, but he invites us to come. God's presence is a place of honor, one of respect, in which God demands things of us because he cares for us. What do you do in God's holy presence? 
What do you do when you recognize God's unique difference from us? That he is perfect. That it is a special thing to be with him, to know him. What do you do when God asks things of you to give things up for his sake? Do you ignore this reality? Do you want to escape from this reality and live your life your own way? Maybe this is news to you about what God is like, about holiness, about his difference from us. Maybe you're very aware of this and are not wanting to change. Or maybe like Moses, you've become broken and recognizing that I must submit, I must worship this God who loves me, who's come to me in the midst of his holiness and wants to dwell with me. God is faithful through his holy presence, but what about the suffering that remains with his people? In addition to the, story, the question about uh, Moses that David asked, he, he told a story a couple weeks ago about we were praying together and we we're praying for a young girl's brother who was sick. And at the end of our prayer, this young girl said, well, my brother is still sick. And here, if you think about it, Moses having this interaction with God with this burning bush a few miles away, the people of Israel are still under oppression. They're still in chains. They're still under the rule of Pharaoh. They're still suffering. How will God remain faithful to his promises? Look with me in verse 7. As the summary of Israel's situation is shown to us using four important words, affliction, cry, taskmasters, and sufferings. It is clear that they are in need of help. They are in need of deliverance. And God does not sit by and watch this. Instead, God acts. And we learn that these suffering words are paired with God's action words. He surely sees. He hears. He knows. And most importantly, he has come down. God has come down to rescue his people and bring them to the promised land. But how is God going to rescue his people? Amazingly enough, and oddly enough, God continues the same way of using broken people, like Abraham, like Isaac, like Jacob, now Moses, as God calls Moses to deliver his people from the hand of Pharaoh. Now, if you were Moses and God is calling you to do this, I'm sure you'd have had lots of emotions going through, through you at this time. Because if you remember, Moses had already tried through his own strength to rescue the people of Egypt in his own way, through his anger, lashing out at this one Egyptian, seeing the pain, which resulted in just the killing of one man. Moses knows that I tried and failed. I cannot do this. He responds and reacts this in a way that many of us would have. I know that I would have, asking the question, who am I? And I wonder if you've asked yourself this question at different points in your life. When God has called you to a task, or when God has asked you to do something, and you think there's no way that I can do this, there's no way that I can fulfill this task. In some way, I'm not good enough, I'm not prepared enough. You don't know my story, my record, things that I've done. 
How will God be faithful to his promises through his great rescue plan, which we learn about here? To be honest with you, I wish that I could stand before you and say that I no longer ask this question, who am I? But in reality, this is a question that I ask myself almost every single day, especially in a week like this week where most days this week, I didn't even want to get out of bed. And I didn't really know why. It was one of those weeks where I was struggling. It was hard to put my feet on the floor. And, I, and as I was preparing for this sermon, the doubts continued to creep in and the questions to creep in and the realities of who I am and my inability to fulfill the task of even speaking for 20 minutes to people. But I was also reminded of a teacher in seminary who gave us a gift in every single class, in the beginning of class, she remind us of this tension that exists as people called of God in this world. She would say, hold up your right hand and say, with John the Baptist, I am not the Christ. And she would say, hold up your other hand and with Simon Peter say, but with you and on you, I will build this church. And then she would say, with Bob the Builder, ask, can we build it? And then we would say, yes, we can. And the reality is, building of God's church is his rescue plan for today. And we are a part of that. God has called us to be his rescuers, to look out into the world and see those who do not know Christ, who actually are on a path to destruction and may be totally unaware of it. I ask you this morning, how are you involved in this great rescue plan. Maybe this is news to you this morning. You've never heard of this. You never knew that you were a part of this plan. Or maybe you were even still in need of rescue. And I would encourage you to speak to one of us so you can learn about the reality of God laying down his life in your place to rescue you from the slavery of sin. Maybe you have known for years and years that you are called to be on mission for God. The Great Commission is, is memorized by you since you were a child, but you've become very lackadaisical. You've grown up, maybe you have a family, and you're just busy. Maybe you're not gifted in evangelism. Maybe you don't have the time to share your faith with others. Maybe you feel ill-equipped to do this task. Well, I encourage you this morning to remember that we have all been called to be a part of this rescue plan. We've all been called to be a conduit of Christ's love for those around us who do not know him, whose lives are in chains, whose hearts are darkened, and who need help. God responds to Moses' question by actually not answering his question, but he responds with a very important answer an important reality where he says, I will be with you in verse 12. That makes all the difference. God has chosen to use broken people like myself, like you, like Moses, to deliver people from their sins. Moses was actually going to deliver real people from slavery, from physical slavery. And that actually happened. And that helped the people of God in the Old Testament continue 
their rescue plan, the one that began with Abraham, where through the, the children of Abraham, all the nations of the world will be blessed. But we know that we struggle with an even greater kind of slavery, slavery to sin. And we know an even greater middle person who is Christ, who came down to stand in our place, who came down to walk with us, who came down, who, who obeyed the law perfectly because God knew that we could not. In addition to saying, I will be with you, in verse 12, God responds with a sign to Moses. God says, when you rescue the people, not if, when you rescue the people, you will serve God on this mountain. God came down to rescue the people of Israel and chose to use Moses as his instrument. We are part of this lineage of people who have been rescued. And as we have been rescued, now we are called to be on mission for him. And I encourage you today to consider your place in this rescue plan. Though you may feel weak, though you may feel weary, though you may feel ill-equipped, and may ask the question, who am I? God responds, I know who you are. And I will be with you. Pray with me this morning. It's so amazing, Father, that you are with us. We can be so used to that idea. But if we really consider that the God of the universe who breathed life into existence, who owns the cattle of a thousand hills, who knows the amount of hairs or lack thereof on our heads, who, is, who has come down, condescended to be with us. The great judge of the universe is always by our side. I pray this morning that we would not be afraid of our weakness, that we would not be afraid of our sin, that we would not be afraid of our need for you, that we would be able to proclaim, though I am not the Christ, you are going to use us to build your church. For those here this morning who might still be in need of rescue, I pray for your kindness and patience to consume them, that they would continue to ask questions, continue to draw near. I pray that we will continually be broken and continue to look for ways to love others around us, to share your love, the words of the gospel, especially to those who might be difficult to love, because that is a reality for all of us. We thank you, Father, that you hear us, that you see us, that you know our plight, and that you are faithful to your promises. In your name we pray. Amen.